0: Well, have a seat, everybody. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, kick off a series we're going to do for a while. We're going to be uh, studying through the book of 1 Corinthians and kind of just getting snapshots of different things the church in Corinth had to work through. Uh, and, and so the, the the title of the series is going to be Church Matters, and it has a dual meaning, right? Because church, it matters. It, it matters. It, it's it's huge. It's important. It's, it's, it's universally uh, uh, essential. Uh, that we are the church, uh, but we know within the church there are matters, there are issues, there are challenges. And the church in Corinth is legendary uh, in that sense, and yet the Apostle Paul, uh, through these great writings that we have in First and Second Corinthians, helped them really to work through um, a lot of their challenges. And so we're going to be doing some case studies from 1 Corinthians Uh, through this midweek series, the first of the month, and we'll continue our men's and women's series uh, and the second Wednesdays of the month. Uh, So tonight we're going to talk about that unity matters. Unity matters from the book of 1 Corinthians. A little background on 1 Corinthians. Um, You know, it starts out by... uh, Really, uh, Paul planting and visiting the church in Greece there, and and in southern Greece, he uh, through persecution goes from the north to the south, and then there he starts to preach the word in Corinth in the synagogue. He's severely persecuted, In Acts eighteen he has these great conversions nonetheless. Priscilla and Aquila, probably one of the more famous ones. Uh, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his whole household are baptized. Um, you know he's he's getting he's getting challenged uh, quite a bit. Uh, you know in that sense, and then in Acts eighteen verse nine, uh, while he's in Corinth. The Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, it says, and the Lord said to him, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Uh, and so Paul, he continued to speak up for the Lord for a year and a half after that that initial start and, and initial wave of persecution, and he continued to speak to the church in Corinth uh, through the book of First and Second Corinthians that we have in um, canonized scripture today. Uh, unity is an interesting thing. Uh, you know what 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 is unity? Well, there are many definitions, uh, as you can see here, uh, the, the you know five possible definitions, uh, and I think they can all apply to unity in the church. This idea of the state of being one or oneness. Because uh, we know the Bible says there's one body, right? Uh, a whole or totality as combining all its parts into one. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of that, right? There are many parts but one body. Uh, the state or fact of being united or combined into one as of the parts of a whole. Unification, again, that process. Uh, number four, the absence of diversity, unvaried or uniform character. Uh, and then number five, oneness of mind, feeling, etc. As among a number of persons. But then it gives us kind of some other words, concord, harmony, or agreement. And so when we talk about unity, uh, it, it kind of envelops all those different ideas and images. So it's obviously a broad word, but what we want to try to tackle uh, tonight. So this idea of unity matters. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 17 to start out here tonight. And then we'll look at some ideas here on unity uh, from the text. First Corinthians 1. In verse 1, hopefully you got your Bibles and you're ready to go here. First Corinthians 1, verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth. In verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank God. For you, because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus, for in him you have been enriched in every way, Paul says, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Verse 7, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then he goes on in verse 10 after this warm greeting. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there may be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Christ. Is Christ divided, he asks in verse 13. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus, he goes on to say. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For, he says in verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So unity matters. And it's a very uh, it's a very uh, strong, you know, warm greeting that Paul gives in the first uh, nine verses. And then verse 10, he just jumps on into it. Right. Uh, this issue of, of disunity and division uh, within the church in Corinth. Um, and so, let's see here what we can learn tonight. Uh, you know, on this matter uh, of unity, uh, this very important church matter of unity from this text here. Um, and as I said, the, you know, the first the first ten verses, Paul, you know, he he he's warming them up, and he's and he's so he's so encouraged by what God has done, and God continues to do in their life despite the challenges that he knows he has to address. He still knows Christ is with them, and Christ is working through them. Right? He's not condemning them um, in any way. And as a matter of fact, he mentions Christ ten times. Over ten times in the first nine verses uh, of this particular letter, and and sometimes in the church, you know, we try to deal with difficult situations uh, by first, you know, arming ourselves with the right scriptures, you know, trying to find the right the right expert, the right endorsement, uh, the right group of people that agree with us. But Paul Paul did none of those things. First and foremost, he, he reminded them of Christ in their life, and he reminded them of, of the power of Christ and how He's working in their life. And it's quite interesting. Twice uh, in First Corinthians one. Uh, Verses 10 through 11, you know, what does he call them? He says, he says, brothers and sisters in verse 10, again, in verse 11, then he says, my brothers and sisters, you know, so he brings himself, you know, into that, that, that little family structure as well. And so Paul, you know, he starts out by reminding them we're, we're all a part of Christ. So much so that we call ourselves brothers and sisters. That's not a, a filler because you can't remember each other's names, although we use it for that sometimes, and, you know, when we're not familiar with each other, but it, it really is, 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 is family talk. Because when we get brought into Christ, we are family. And so, so that is, the, that is the, the overarching context because we're family. Therefore, we can kind of, you know, throw a few jabs at each other starting in verse 10. Because that's what he does. He comes right at them on these issues, uh, and, you know, starting in verse 10. And it's interesting, you know, he, he, he also uses, you know, the, the, the name of Jesus Christ. He says you are baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. You know, the blood brought you together and the blood of Jesus is going to keep you together. And, and he actually goes on to say, you know, I'm glad that, you know, at the end of the, the section we read, I'm glad that I didn't baptize many of you, so you couldn't say you were baptized into my name, because uh, that was a very that was a very uh, intimate portrayal of a relationship. Um, Barclay writes of this. He says that phrase in Greek implies the closest possible connection. To give money into a man's name was to pay it into his account. To sell a slave into a man's name was to give that slave into his undisputed possession. A soldier swore loyalty into the name of Caesar. He belonged absolutely to the emperor. Into the name of implied utter possession. And so, you know, it is important that they understand that they, they were baptized into the name of Jesus. And he's being a bit facetious, right, when he talks about, you know, you weren't baptized into my name. It's, it, it's all about Jesus. That's where he starts uh, before he gets into any issues of unity that uh, they have to figure out. So he starts with this appeal of family and love. And then uh, then he goes on um, in, 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 in uh, verse 12. Um, I'm sorry, then he goes on uh, after he makes this appeal about Jesus in the first nine verses, mentioning him many times in this brother and sister talk in verse 10 and 11. He goes on to use these these two really strong phrases, uh, actually, in the text. Um, the, uh, the phrases here, uh, the first one, uh, he says uh, in verse 10 I'm sorry in verse 10 he says that there be no divisions among you uh, the word he uses to describe what we call in, in the English division is actually schismata in the Greek uh, and, it, and it's a word literally means to you know of, of a rent or a tear and a garment and, and so the, the, the Corinthian church is in danger of becoming as problematic as a torn piece of clothing you know I had, I had a pair of uh, you know a pair of uh, trousers and, and they got ripped you know, and, and, and not a very good place. And so I couldn't, and I love these trousers, but I couldn't wear them anymore because, the, you know, they had a rip in the wrong place. And so it uh, uh, wouldn't have been cool to have been uh, offensive if I wore those at that point. And, and, and so very quickly, when, when, when there's a tear in something, it can become quite useless. And Paul is saying, you know, he's using this analogy, division in the church, it takes something beautiful and makes it uglier or, or not even able to function. He's using that analogy. And then the other strong phrase here that he uses, he says he says you should be perfectly united in verse 10, in mind and thought. That, that Greek phrase, perfectly united, it's a medical word. Roy would appreciate this. Uh, it's a medical word uh, used of knitting together bones that have been fractured or joining together a joint that has been dislocated. And so division in the church, the body of Christ, right, is as painful and unhealthy as a broken bone or a dislocated joint. That's the analogy that he's using. And and that is why, you know, it it must always be cured for the sake of the health and efficiency of the body of Christ. That's why we've got to deal with these challenges of disunity and division uh, when they arise in our lives and in our church. Uh, And so, you know, one major thing that, you know, can cause this, this messy, sad state, you know, unsightly, as a ripped garment, you know, as dysfunctional as broken bones uh, is made clear here. And he goes on uh, to, to really make it clear in verse 12, you know, w- you know, what what is the issue? We start following people more than we follow Christ. One of the major causes of division, not the only, but one of the major causes is we start following people more than we follow Christ. And he goes on here to specifically show. You know, these four, these four personalities that people were, were claiming for themselves that was ultimately dividing them, uh, within the church. Uh, the first, of course, here in verse 12, uh, is, is those who are, who are claiming the apostle Paul. Now, it's interesting, he, you know, it's Paul, Apollos, Cephas, uh, you know, uh, which is Greek for Peter, and, and, uh, and, and the last one is Christ. And, and what's interesting is we have no indication that, that, that Paul or Apollos or Cephas in any way were promoting this idea. It was people who were using their names for their own agendas and for their own ideas. Uh, and so we, we don't see any dissension. You know, we get no indication of that in Scripture, uh, you know, at this particular point uh, and, and that affecting Corinth at all. Uh, and so so nonetheless, there's these four divisions, these four distinct personalities that these people all claim that they're following. Uh, the first is Paul. Uh, that likely would have been a group of people that were Gentile in their background, more than likely, because Paul, we know, uh, was was the preacher to the Gentiles. And so perhaps this group was using their freedom in Christ uh, to justify sin uh, and, to, and to harm and 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 to do things that weren't so good, but, but because they're free in Christ, they're abusing grace. So this particular division may have been doing that, uh, that particular thing. We don't really know, but we know 1 Corinthians 5, Paul addresses very strongly a serious case of immorality and incest that was being allowed uh, within the church. And so perhaps they had forgotten that they were saved not to be free to sin, but but to be free not to sin. Today, that might be us overusing or overclaiming our freedom in Christ. You know, that might be an example of how we might do that today. And, and that, can, that can cause division among us quite quickly when we abuse that freedom that we have in Christ. Uh, the second uh, figure that they were dividing over was Apollos, right? Apollos. Um, Apollos uh, shows up, uh, you know, in, in, after Paul leaves Corinth, he shows up at the end of Acts 18. Um, and he actually teaches uh, the church in Corinth quite a bit. And it says of him in Acts 18:24. It says that he was a Jew from Alexandria, an eloquent man, and well-versed in the Scriptures. And so Apollos was an impressive guy. He's like a guest speaker that you bring in, you know. He's he's speaking at the worldwide conferences kind of guy, you know. and uh, uh, and, and, and so... You know, perhaps this group, uh, you know, w- was more into, you know, the intellectual side of Christianity, the philosophical side of Christianity. And, and actually, Alexandria uh, became actually known where, where apostles from in the first century, became known for a place where people loved to talk about Scripture and debate things and, and intellectualize Christianity. Uh, and so, so perhaps that was that group. They, they were all about, you know, how smart they could be in Christ and how much insight they could have uh, into the Scriptures. And so today that might be you know, thinking we have unique insight that no one else really has, that, that we have wisdom. Yeah, you know, I once read a commentary. You know, if you think you have a new insight of the scripture, you're probably just wrong, you know, because, you know, it, it, scripture is pretty clear. There's not these hidden hidden messages um, in scripture. But today, if we start thinking that we have insight that no one else has, we're in danger of becoming this kind of divisive person or or, or it's, you know, well, well, have you looked at the Greek word? Well, no, actually, I have, I've never actually studied Greek and I've left that to the Greek scholars who then, you know, translated into English. I don't need to because they've done it for me. And this is what they said it says in English. But when we start, you know, we start getting all into, you know, well, what does it really mean? That's an example, perhaps, of us starting to divide uh, over intellect, which is maybe perhaps this division. Uh, the third one is over Cephas. Cephas, old Cephas, Peter. Uh, the, you know, the Jewish name of Peter was Cephas. And uh, there's no record of... of Peter traveling to Corinth, we don't have it, uh, you know, in Scripture or church history, but he's mentioned again in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 5. Uh, and so, at the very least, he was influential in in, in the church in Corinth. Uh, and there were probably a lot of Jewish Christians in the early church who who looked up to Peter. Uh, and again, Paul was more of the apostle to the Gentiles at this point, and Peter was more the apostle to the Jews. And they even agreed to that to some degree. Uh, and so perhaps, you know, this was a group of people who were Jewish Christians, and they were still trying to hang on to the law. And hang on to their culture. Um, and so it could be us, you know, it, it could be the legalists among us, you know, it, you know, it could be that kind of thing, or it could be cultural. You know, it could be, well, I, I want these kind of people in the church today. Why don't we have these kind of people, you know, or, you know, or, or, or well, why don't you follow, follow these ideas in these ways and these practices like, like we do? And if, and if you do it this way, or you, or you do it that way, that's the right way. But if you do it that way, that's the wrong way, and we look down on those who don't do it the way we do it. And I'm not talking about biblical issues. I'm talking about opinion matters, practices, methods, but we can become like this group here that says that they're following Cephas when we do that. And the last one is, you know, some even say they're following Christ. Uh, they're following Christ. Uh, there's two possible ways to interpret this. Uh, there was no punctuation and space in, in the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Uh, and so one commentary I was reading was saying that perhaps based on the the, the grammar and the, and the sentence structure, perhaps what Paul is saying is, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, but I belong to Christ. So one way to interpret it, and the NIV doesn't do that, is that Paul is saying, hey, I belong to Christ. You know, he's kind of trying to remind them of what he was talking about earlier. Uh, they had lost sight of that. Or the other possibility, and I like this one maybe even more, um, uh, based on the interpretation from Greek to English that we see in most of the, uh, the English translations, uh, is that this is the, the, the self-righteous group. Oh, you know, you guys are all weak Christians. We're strong Christians. We, we follow Christ. Oh, you say you follow Apollos. You say you follow Paul, but we, we follow Christ. And they're over in their corner being self-righteous, not actually fixing the divisions within the church. It's easy to get self-righteous, but that doesn't, that doesn't help the, the issues uh, that the group uh, is facing. First Corinthians 11 uh, 17 through 19 is a, is a reference scripture along the, the, that idea. Um, uh, and and I'll just, I won't read it, but you can look at it for the sake of time later. Um, and so we don't really know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, what perhaps might have been with these four groups. But again, based on who they're saying they're following and those, those backgrounds and types of people, we can see how the more they got focused on, on what they preferred, what they liked, what they wanted, and who they wanted to follow... The less they started focusing on Christ, the more the church started to get divided and the more the church started to get scattered uh, and dysfunctional uh, in its unity. Uh, And so so, you know, Paul's Paul's response to all of this gives us, I think, some great solutions. Anytime disunity and division threaten our lives and threaten our church and they can really help us, I think, remember how to stay unified and how to be unified because unity matters. It matters in the church. You know, what, is, what does Paul say he wants them to have? He says, I want you to be perfectly united in mind and thought in verse 10. Unity matters greatly uh, to the point that he can he can ask for perfection. Perfection in our unity uh, based on what Christ had done for them. And so just three kind of practicals here as we close out. And then we'll open it up a little bit for some maybe discussion. Uh, under this idea of how to find unity. I think the first thing we see here is we've got to get together. I think we see here from the text, we've got to be willing to get together. Uh, you know, as I said, verse 10, he calls them to have perfect unity in mind and thought. That's overwhelming. If you really, just, just break that down for a second. Chidema and I, I'm working on the new name, you know, I'm, I'm getting it. Um, to me it is. Chids and I, Chids and I, Paul saying that her and I, you know, she's got a British accent, I've got an American accent, she's got a Nigerian background, I, I'm a European Ch- Chitta, You know, she's a young professional, I'm a married man, but we should be perfectly united in mind and thought. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's going to take some work. Because I'm stubborn, not, not other reasons, but, but Chitta and I are going to have to, when we have something that's making us disagree, which has probably happened anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> We have, to then, we have to then figure out how to work that out. We have to figure out how to, how to get more united, get, get more on the same page. We've got to open up our Bibles, allow Christ to speak, right, to the situations. You know, we've got to be, you know, we've got to be willing to listen to each other. We've got to, we've got to be willing to be humble toward each other. We, we've got to be willing to apologize to each other, because we will sometimes offend each other when we don't see things the same way. It's, it's going to take a lot of work, in other words. A lot of thinking, a lot of speaking. You know, unity is not necessarily doing the same thing, but having the same mind and heart as we maybe all approach it a little bit different. Because that's fine. Chids doesn't need to be me and I don't need to be Chids. And that will never happen anyway, right? But it's going to take work. It's going to take speaking. It's going to take digging in our Bibles together. We sadly settle for far less or quit way too early in the process. And that's always going to be a recipe for division. That's always going to be a recipe for disunity. You know, if we refuse to meet, we refuse to talk, we refuse to resolve things, we're, we're never gonna find unity. Well, we'll just we'll just agree to disagree. That's not what Paul's calling us to. Not even close. And hey, amen, we may not always see it the same way, you know, but at the end of the day, we can still be unified. But have we tried? to see it the same way. Have we tried to obey what Paul's calling us to here to be perfectly united in mind and thought. So we got we got to get together. We got to really work hard. It's very important. Uh, you can see it from this passage. I think the, th- the second thing here is an obvious one is we got to get Jesus. We got to get Jesus. You know, Christ is mentioned 10 times in the first, you know, 9 verses. We saw the appeal, you know, brother and sisters in verse 10 again in verse 11. Then he goes on, I mentioned this earlier, in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else, Paul says. Um, and so here, you know, some, some people who, who like to try to water down biblical baptism... Well say that Paul is belittling baptism here. No, he's not belittling baptism. He's belittling humanism. He's saying, You don't you didn't get baptized in my name. You know, you 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 didn't get baptized in Apollos' name. You got baptized in the name of Christ. And as I said, that was considered a very important and sacred thing to, 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 to be given something or someone in, in someone's name meant total possession. I read that, I read that earlier, right? And so, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, um, Verses 24 to 25, we, we, we studied this a while back when we were talking about the body, right? The, ch- the church, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. You know, God put the body together. It is, it is the body of Christ. It is Christ's body. When I or you start to divide that, who are we really sinning against? Yeah, we're sinning against the church, but really we're sinning against Christ. And again, we get our eyes off of Christ, we're dangerous. We get our eyes off of Christ, we can do a lot of damage. It's a very, very scary idea to think that you're, you're dividing the body of Christ. And again, wh- why do we do that? Well, we get too focused on, you know, a certain extra-biblical preference or method or leader or, or leadership style. You know, the more we, we, we get focused on that, the more it's, it's, it's so easy to divide. And it's funny, I thought about this, you know... I don't think, I've never met anyone in this church who is baptized in someone's name other than Jesus's. Anyone here baptized in someone else's name besides Jesus's? I didn't think so. It's not going to happen in the church of Christ, amen? But people get baptized in the name of Jesus in the church of Christ, and then one day they leave in the name of someone else. Wow, this person, I'm out of here. That makes no sense at all. You are brought into the body in and through Jesus. Why would you leave for any other reason? But because you don't believe in Jesus, because we start focusing on other things and we get we make man so big and God so small at that point. And that is a recipe for division. That is a recipe for disunity every time it rears its ugly head. We've, and we've got to get Jesus in these moments when we're not seeing eye to eye and see the bigger picture and he can get us through. Amen. Get together, get Jesus. And last and finally here, we've got to get spiritual. It's interesting. Paul connects uh, this idea again. Oh, turn over to chapter three. He connects this idea again in chapter three. It, it, this is a big deal. In chapter three, uh, verses one to four, he says, again, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit. Ouch. But as people who are still worldly, ouch, mere infants in Christ, ouch. He says in verse two, I gave you milk. I can't even feed you solid food, he says, right? For you are not ready for it. Spiritually, we're, we're like the cousin's little baby is what he's saying. Why is he saying that? He says you're still worldly in verse three. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? And here it is, verse 4. For, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Ouch. He goes after it again there in chapter 3. Disunity, division, Paul says, is worldly. It's unspiritual. We could use some other phrases. It's of the devil, it's evil. And again, those, those are just an analogous words to what Paul's saying here. Worldly. You, you know, you're, you're, you're not living by the Spirit. It's very strong language because disunity and division is a serious thing according to God and His Word. Again, because we're, we're messing up His church, His body when we go down that route. You know, sometimes I've learned this through challenges and disagreements and and, and things that I've witnessed in the ministry. Sometimes we need to be more concerned about being unified than right. But a lot of times we're much more concerned about being right. And we're willing to be disunified if we think we're actually right. And I've also learned this I can I can even be right yet be divisive. You can even be right and even be biblical. But but the way we act and the way we carry ourselves and the way we implement that truth actually can cause division. And that's true, you know, for, that's true for the leaders. That's true for the, the youngest Christian in the church. That's true for us all. You know, that's true for the elders. That's true for the evangelists. That's true for the kids' kingdom workers. That's true for the ushers. You know, that's true for us all. You know, Tia had some great insight at staff. We were talking about this on Tuesday. Thank you, Tia. And, uh, you know, First uh, Corinthians 6, verse 7 Paul says, and he reiterates this this principle that it's maybe more important to be, you know, unified than right. He says in in chapter 6, verse 7 the very fact that you have lawsuits among you, apparently they they had some legal issues, we'll have to look at that later. Uh, You know, uh, lawsuits don't matter in the church, amen. Um, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you, he says, means you have been completely defeated already. Why, Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? So, in other words, he's saying it's better to be cheated than wronged. Than to sue your brother and sister in Christ. Which is what was going on. Uh, in the church in Corinth. And I, and I think Paul makes the same appeal on unity. It's better to be wrong and unified. Than right and disunified. And he's not literally saying that. But I think that's the spirit. Because obviously you can get into biblical heresy at some point. If you're not careful with that. But that's the spirit I think that Paul wants, wants, wants the church in Corinth to have. And I think that's a real challenge to us. Unless it's a clear biblical matter. We we at some point need to let it go and be unified. Unity matters. Unity is vital in the body of Christ. Like bones in the body, it keeps us connected and healthy and working in all the right ways. You know, division and dissent is easy to give into. It's easy to give into. But destructive and toxic to the body of Christ. Now, we can learn from the letter to the Corinthians, you know, what causes unneeded division. What causes unneeded and unnecessary division? Too much of us and not enough of Christ. It's as simple as that. Too much of us and not enough of Christ. We can only follow Christ. Anything less will certainly divide us. The unity of the church matters. So we must deal with this uh, church matter of unity and anything that threatens it. In the church, and so hopefully today we can we can be sober, we can be humble, you know, about ourselves, not not looking at anyone else, but just looking at ourselves as Christians, Uh, because I can't I can't change you, but I can change me, right? Uh, And 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 that's the same for all of us. Um, And Jesus' prayer, you know, reminds us in John 17, Jesus prayed about our unity. And he, he prayed about our unity, and he shows how important it is in this prayer. In John 17, verses 20 to 23, he says, My prayer is not for them alone, he's just prayed for the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete, Unity. There it is again. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's scary to think if we don't answer Jesus' prayer through our complete unity that the world would, won't really know that Jesus was sent by God and that God really loves us. And so, we, we, you know, we can't, we can't disconnect these things. They're vital things. Uh, and I believe Jesus prayed this prayer because it can't it can come true. And we can be that kind of church here uh, in Birmingham. And so some questions here to consider um, as we go home tonight, uh, you know, as we fellowship afterwards, as we meet in our family groups, uh, you know, in, in the next few weeks. I want us to really think about this personally. Just some questions on unity. The first is, what can I learn here about division? Because I, I, I learned a lot about it. You just did it out myself. The second is, what ways can I tend toward things that divide us? We all have a sinful nature. That will promote disunity. We all have a sinful nature, if left unchecked, that can cause division within the church. None of us are are immune to that, right? And third, and finally, what can I do today to create more unity in the church? Do do I need to, you know, get together more and have some discussions about things and and really work out some things? Uh, You know, do you know, do I need to really get more spiritual? And more Christ-focused when it comes to, you know, matters in the church. Uh, You know, all those types of things. And so I really want us to consider these things, think about these things, uh, you know, and and hopefully... um Hopefully we can have some discussions, some dialogues uh, if we really need to work on that. I know at the family group leaders meeting Saturday, I'd like to have some discussions about this because I really think it's really uh, it's really vital. Um, and it's really important, uh, you know, that, that that the church really has this kind of conviction uh, that I think is very biblical, but also that we really live this out. Uh, because as, as John 17 says, it can help people know that Jesus was sent and it can help people know that God really loves them. And that is a powerful, powerful thing uh, when you think about even how it affects not just our church and our spiritual well-being, but just just the world, the world that is so lost and has such such need of of coming into the church. But of course, we've got to be a healthy church. Uh, to bring them into, into the church. And this, this letter certainly is going to challenge us uh, in many matters. But the first one it starts out with here uh, is this idea of unity. Amen. I wish we had time to open it up and talk. Uh, I've gone four minutes past 830. I apologize for that to the parents. Uh, but let's continue these discussions. Uh, and let's, and let's, let's, let's be a church that can help Jesus' prayer and John 17 be answered. Amen. Uh, because unity matters in the church. Uh, that's the lesson for tonight. Thank you. We'll see everybody Sunday.